Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Thursday. Big news on all fronts today. The Wall Street Journal now reporting that the DOJ considered and then rejected having a role in the Biden document search, deciding instead to just pawn it off on Biden's personal attorneys who don't have security clearances. What could go wrong? That's fine, right? I'm sure they do that for you. Just let you and your personal lawyer call through your allegedly top secret documents without any security clearance. And um, yeah, no no problem if it goes south and you find like, I don't know, the nuclear codes. Um, it's not Biden again. It's his uncleared attorneys doing this search. Why? Why did they do that? Right? Did they do that for Trump? Hmm? This is CNN declares the controversy is nothing more than classified spillage. <laughs> now it's been downgraded from a national security scare in the Trump case to classified spillage in the Biden case. Plus, big news out of New Mexico as the prosecutors there announcing actor Alec Baldwin is going to be charged with involuntary manslaughter in connection with the fatal shooting of this cinematographer on the set of the movie Rust in 2021. That's big. Joining me now, John Ashbrook, Michael Duncan, Josh Holmes, and the man known as Comfortably Smug. Together, they are the hosts of the Ruthless podcast. What a day. We got a lot to get through. Can you believe he's getting charged, guys? Amazing. I, I mean, I don't know exactly what all goes into that, but what a tragic situation. I can't believe I almost forgot it happened. It was so long ago. But yeah, I, I guess they're processing it now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, and we'll get into this with a lawyer tomorrow and sort of go through it legally, but, and I, I'm a lawyer, so I've got some thoughts on it too. Um, there's, there's a couple things going on here. We'll see what, how it plays out. My, my initial instinct is there's not a high likelihood of success on the criminal charge. I really don't think there is. I'm not a huge fan of Alec Baldwin's, but just as a lawyer, I don't see this playing all that well with a, with a jury. However, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Um, I do think, however, that people will celebrate this to some extent because a he's loathed by people on the right because he's been such a pit bull against all of them especially trump and b he's been so to steal a term smug about this whole thing <laughs> since it happened right with all his multi-interviews and i'll give you just as a reminder this comment he made to george stephanopoulos about how he really feels no guilt at all for shooting this woman, Helena Hutchins. Yes, it was an accident, but he did it. He pulled the trigger, though he denied it. But he really feels no guilt. Listen. Your emotions are so clearly so right there on the surface. You felt shock. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? No, no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible 
for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How big of him? What a line. <laughs> the, the guy's a professional actor. It's a little bit difficult to believe him in a serious interview setting. Yeah. Well, you guys, in addition to this job, you actually advise politicians on how to handle things, how to convince people of A or B or C. This, I would imagine, would not have been your advice. <laughs> no, no, no responsibility whatsoever. It seems to be a common theme with him. This isn't his first run in, right? I mean, this guy's getting trouble. It seems like once a year, this one, obviously, much higher level of gravity than most. But like if he thought criminal charges were a possibility, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but why go do a bunch of interviews, right? I got to imagine that anything he said at this point is admissible. Keep your mouth shut. And right. I was on um, News Nation with my pal Dan Abrams last night talking about this a bit. And he ran an interesting sod I hadn't seen before, sound on tape, sod, soundbite, um, where Alec Baldwin gave an interview to the sheriff's department in, you know, earlier in this case, shortly after the shooting. And you guys may recall, he would ultimately tell George Stephanopoulos he did not fire the trigger, right? He said he didn't pull the trigger. Um, actually, we'll play that. Here he is denying later to Stephanopoulos that he pulled the trigger. So I take the gun and I start to cock the gun. I'm not going to pull the trigger. I, I said, do you see that? She goes, well, just cheat it down and tilt it down a little bit like that. And I cock the gun. I go, can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And she says, and then I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. At the moment, the decisive That was the moment, moment the gun went off, yeah. That was the moment the gun went off. It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, no, no. I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never. Mm-hmm. We never what? do that. I, okay. Well, so oh, they've already said that's not possible. The FBI has already looked at it and said that's not possible on this gun. This gun would not have gone off if you didn't pull the trigger. And by the way, he also adds the admission that he was trained never to do that. So the training is don't do it. The standard of care is don't do it. Don't pull the trigger. He admits that. Okay. But he tries to deny to George that he, that he did not, that he failed to comply with the standard. He said, oh, no, I would never. I was trained not to. I would never. But look at this sound. But again, courtesy of my friend Dan, who did his homework, um, that he he admits, listen, there's a lot in here, but here he is talking to the sheriff's office. He admits he shot the gun, that he was the one who shot her. Listen. I am speechless. We're here shooting. Everything was going fine. Joel is my friend. I'm one of the producers on this movie. Mm-hmm. We've developed this movie together for three years. I left my wife and six kids in New York to come here for a month to shoot this movie. And I'm the one that shot the gun today that had a live bullet go through that woman's body and into his body. And I need to know, how did that happen? Where did that bullet come from? Where did a lot of those, there are no live rounds in her kid, I'm told. <laughs> that line's going to yeah. matter. That's going to matter. Oh, I mean, you, you don't need to be a Ph.D. in engineering to understand that when you pull the trigger, it releases the hammer. And so two sots ago, he was describing how he pulled the hammer back and released the hammer that fires the gun. <laughs> what it, what what in the world is he trying to say? I know that George Stephanopoulos is probably going to be helpful to him, given his history as a Democrat and Alec well, his Baldwin's deep knowledge of firearms. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he did his homework, clearly. <laughs> Certainly wants to take them away from all of us. But the point of the matter, I, I mean, he he literally just said, I pulled the hammer back and I let it go. That shoots the gun. Well, I I don't I mean, no, but the FBI is saying so that's not true. Me. The FBI think... says you have to pull you, you'd have to pull the trigger that in order to send the bullet out 
of the barrel mm. and that this must be a lie that th you would not this gun would not be firing if he hadn't pulled the trigger. And so his statement to Stephanopoulos, according to the FBI, looked at it is a lie. And that's what's going to and all of this, Holmes, I know you're going to say something. All of this goes into whether a DA charges you or not. The DA is looking at these statements saying he admitted he shot the gun. He tried to deny it later. The FBI says you cannot shoot this gun without actually pulling the trigger. So he's lying. Why is he lying? It could suggest a consciousness of guilt that there was wrongdoing. He admits what the standard of care is and that, that he's been trained in it. But in another interview seems to admit he didn't follow it. All this stuff could lead you into some very hot criminal water. And that's where he finds himself today. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I was just going to say, I'm just so confused by all of it because at, on one level, like, look, Baldwin's a scumbag, right? I mean, we all have known that we followed his career. He's actually a pretty talented actor, but I mean, he is a scumbag. And I've no doubt that he's lying about all kinds of, you know, whether he pulled the trigger, whether he didn't pull the trigger. I don't know. But like, don't we on movies, don't we, we have blanks, right? I mean, I guess I'm, it's hard for me to get the connection between how Alec Baldwin has a live round in his gun. And I, I guess I heard from Stephanopoulos there that the, it was not in the script for him to pull the trigger. I mean, I, I just, the whole thing makes no sense to me. Clearly there is culpability here. A woman lost her life. Um, it seems to me that anybody who's got live rounds in a weapon, uh, there's it, Alec Baldwin, I find it hard to believe, is, is the stage guy, is the prop guy, right? right. It's like, Putting the bullets into the gun. Yeah, but I guess the point would be it's grossly negligent to pull the trigger on a set, especially if the script doesn't call for it. Which I guess is that's the issue. Is that that's the, the standard? You would know more than us, Megan. But no, like the script, the script didn't negligence. call for it, and the standard of care yeah. is not to do it on on a set. You don't actually have to pull the trigger. But the, this gun did not have blanks. It had dummy rounds, which are they're like models. You know, a blank makes the sound and does some fake smoke. So it looks like you fired a real gun, a real bullet mm -hmm. out of a real gun, live bullet. But a a um, a dummy round is just it's like for a gun like this, like the Colt 45, where you can see the bullets as the audience just by looking at the outside oh. of the gun. So it's there to just be pretty. You know, it's there to sort of just look like and in any event, um, what happened was a live round, an actual, you know, live fireable bullet or or two or three. We don't know how many got loaded into that gun. And then and that was loaded by the armorer, we're told, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, and then provided to the first assistant director, who we also understand from The Wall Street Journal, has agreed to plead guilty in the charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon, which is one down from what Alec and the armorer is also going to be charged with. And then they mm -hmm. handed it. He handed it to Alec saying cold gun. And it was his responsibility and her responsibility to make sure a cold gun was, in fact, handed over. But there's a third responsibility in the hands of Alec Baldwin, who actually handles the gun um, to not actually pull the trigger, says he. And some other actors like George Clooney have said you also, as the actor, would never take anybody's word for it. You'd actually look inside the gun and look at the bullets yourself. Now, how an actor is supposed to know if it's a dummy round versus a live round, the dummy round's whole goal is to look exactly like the live round. You have to take it out right, and shake right. it. One sounds one way. One sounds a different. How Alec Baldwin would have done that. I mean, that seems to me a lot to ask of any actor. But in any event, if you pulled the trigger, he's gone below the standard of care. So he's going to get charged. The armorer is going to get charged. Involuntary, involuntary. The first assistant, a director is going to plead guilty to uh, negligent use of a deadly weapon, which I think is probably where this will likely yeah. end with Alec. 
the negligent use of a deadly weapon. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how a jury, if it ever gets that far, reacts to a guy like Alec Baldwin in front of them. They tend to love celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, he should probably button his trap, right? I mean, th- th- I yes, think that's the thing once. to me that's the oddest is any any normal person, if they were involved in a tragic situation like this, would feel terrible that there was a loss of life, that a, a, you know, a woman was killed and the gun was in their hand at the very least when the bullet comes out and kills somebody. And for him to say, I feel absolutely no guilt. No. Well, well not only like, that. I, he's like, someone's responsible, but it isn't me. I mean, <laughs> right. Not only that, that, the sheriff's interview, he's complaining about, oh, my gosh, I've had to travel all the way here from New York and leave my family. <laughs> yeah. And, and so boy, true. I'm really put out by this whole thing. I can't believe this woman got in the way of my weapon. <laughs> it's so... <laughs> That's exactly right. Can we listen to that soundbite again? You're right. I was I picked up on that subliminally. It was sort of bothering me in the back of my head, but it didn't come to life for me until you just said it. Can we listen to that soundbite again, guys? Alec with the sheriff. I am speechless. We're here shooting. Everything was going fine. Joel was my friend. I'm one of the producers on this movie. Mm-hmm. We've developed this movie together for three years. I left my wife and six kids in New York to come here for a month to shoot this movie. And I'm the one that shot the gun today that had a live bullet go through that woman's body and into his body. And I need to know, how did that happen? Where did that bullet come from? Where did a lot of There are no live rounds in her kid, I'm told. You're so right. <laughs> I left my wife and my six kids to do this. I you think I was bargaining for this headache. I think I think he should have remained speechless uh, instead yeah. of being speechless. He decided to <laughs> confess to the crime. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's Alec. He's going to have his own legal troubles out there. I do, for the record, think it's interesting. According to the Wall Street Journal, no charges for the guy who provided the ammo to mm-hmm. the armorer. She had been pointing the finger at him. His name is Seth Kinney. And he had been pointing the finger at her saying, He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't give you live rounds. I gave you dummies and blanks and you're responsible for the gun. And uh, it seems that the DA and the sheriff's office have concluded the armorer did something wrong here. And uh, so did Alec and so did the first assistant director. In any event, we'll continue to watch it. The weirdest part of all this, the widower of um, the woman who was shot and killed, Helena Hutchins, has settled his civil suit against Alec and the production of Rust. And now they are going to resume production of the film oh, with man. the widower as an executive producer of Dude, the project with Alec Baldwin starring serious? serious. Oh, oh, what a terrible situation. That's awful. Thing is. So, it's, I mean, you, you could conclude from that, that part of the settlement is that this dude gets to be on the film. Who knows? It, he gets an EP like, credit. I just, I'm, I'm mean, sorry. What? It's what? Just, the whole thing is so distasteful to me. Like, Gross. Who would want to continue the movie with Alec Baldwin? What are they going to reenact that same scene? You know, people oh. are going to go to this just for like the rubbernecking effect. Right. They get on the road just to see like, was this the part where it happened? What part was oh. shot by her? Was this where before or after he killed these, this woman and shot another man on set? It's like, who would want to see it to completion? Right. Nobody was going to watch it before. It's not exactly Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. You know, it's not, this is not, this is not going to make it into AFI's top 100. 
<laughs> no. Although, no. you know, there's precedent for this before. I mean, I remember a movie growing up, I think it was The Crow or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I remember that. Right. And right. I forget the actor who lost his life in that very similar situation. It was Wasn't a, it Brandon it was Lee? Bruce Lee's son. Yeah, Bruce Lee's son. That's right. Brandon exactly. Lee. I don't know what, ultimately how that ended up uh, being resolved from a legal standpoint, but I know they did finish the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, there'll be tons. I mean, if it really is never the standard for the actor to pull the trigger, the, the, he's going to have tons of testimony to that effect. George Clooney will not be helpful to him, but I'm sure a lot of other actors will. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, he's taken a massive hit, I think, in his reputation on this because because of his callousness. I think a lot of us saw the initial day. Poor guy. My God, this is a, what a tragedy. And then he started talking and those ratings went off the cliff. By the way, same thing's happening with Meghan and Harry. I'm just going to say Newsweek Mm -hmm. did a poll. Their approval ratings went off the cliff. They were maintaining some popularity here in the United States, never in Britain since they pulled all their shenanigans last year. Uh, But here in the United States, they were doing okay. Now they're both below zero on their approval. They've been up in like the 40s. I don't know what it's like a 40 to 60 point swing, something absurd. So sometimes it's better just to be quiet and let people wonder about whether you're a prick. Instead of actually building it. <laughs> That's so good. Well, you know, those poor royals, they never get a break. Yeah. You know, it's just such a tough life. <laughs> Single tier. Um, okay. So let's talk about Joe Biden, who ostensibly could be also facing criminal charges, though mm, mm, don't count on it. Um, what's happening right now in the messaging at the White House is fascinating to me. Instead of Joe Biden really being hung out to, to dry on this because he's the one who was so careless with his documents, it's Karine Jean-Pierre. <laughs> at some point, this woman needs to turn around and say, I'm not doing it. I'm not going back out there. I don't trust a lot of you. Um, but man, is she taking a beating justifiably because of her stupidity in believing her boss and delivering his message without questioning it and without leaving herself any room to wiggle. Hold on. I want to see. Uh, let's see. Is it? Yeah, here she is. Okay. Last Thursday, she claimed everything's complete. The search is complete. We've given you everything. And after this point, there was an announcement of two more tranches of documents. Okay. After everything was complete. Oh, wait, except for this one. Oh, and also this one. And once again, none of them found by the FBI, but by B- Biden's lawyers. Um, so here's an example of how it's going for her over at the White House press briefing sought to. On Friday, you stood here, though, and were asked about the documents issued by our counsel 18 times. So did you not know on Friday that those documents had been found when you were at the podium? Or are you being directed by someone to not be forthcoming on this? I'm, and I was repeating what the what the uh, counsel was sharing at that time. Are you upset that you came out to this podium on Friday with incomplete and inaccurate information? And are you concerned that it affects your credibility up here? Well, what I'm what I'm concerned about is making sure that we do not politically interfere in the Department of Justice. I'm just going to leave it there. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, what a bunch of bad answers. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. She's That's flailing like because she you- she misled or she just said something without knowing the facts. Either way, disaster. Go ahead, Josh. You know, I just it's the one thing you teach a press secretary, particularly at the White House, is you never overcommit, right? You, you're never definitive about things you don't know the answers to. And, and counsel's Often, when you're dealing with potential criminal uh, criminal charges against a sitting president, don't go give you all the information. But that's why you don't overcommit, right? That's why you don't say things like "it's complete, everything is done, we're all moving forward here," which is exactly what she did. And literally, as she was doing it, as she was doing it, they had Biden's own lawyer in his own home finding more stuff, right? So, I mean, look from a White House spokesperson perspective. 
It is the worst practice that I've seen since like what the McClellan guy at the, in the Bush administration yeah. where everything, every time he came out to the podium, people were like, oh, dude, just, I mean, stop. I feel like you're giving Sean Spicer his due. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, that crowd size was the most gigantic thing that's ever shown up on the mall. I can't believe you're not admitting to that. My God, it was so, so train wrecky. Nice guy, but that was a train wrecky press secretary stint for sure. So she's also asked um, if President Biden still has confidence in his team managing this PR disaster and potential legal disaster. And here's what she said. Does President Biden have confidence in the way his team is handling this with this trickle out of information and the documents being found day after day? I can tell you this. The president has confidence. Does he? Do you really do you believe that's true? No possible way. There's no, no possible way. And this is the liability, I think, that they open themselves up to when they let Biden's lawyers manage this process. Right. Because I think that explains why she's sort of in the dark on some of this stuff. I mean, they should have just handed it all over to DOJ the second that this be, they became aware of this. But of course, they didn't want to do that for, I think, reasons we can all infer. Oh, entirely. Right. But also, again, let's I know this is a little bit technical, but you're the spokesperson for the White House. It's an official government job. You're the president's spokesperson. You shouldn't be pontificating about the personal lawyer of the president, whether he has confidence in that. Not you can punt on those questions. That's a that's a question for in direct to the lawyers themselves. We, let me speak to the official action that we're doing at the White House. She like doesn't know the basics. Right. I mean, the basics. And I understand she's taken a rash, but she's earned it. I mean, you yeah. do not get out over your skis on that. That So she doesn't know what she's talking about. And we we took the liberty of just putting together a little butted soundbite of some of her lowlights proving yeah. she doesn't know anything about anything. Here's Sot one. Three U.S. winners of the 2022 Nobel Prize, who won the Nobel Prize in chemistry, who won the Nobel Prize in physics, who won the Nobel Prize in economic sciences. The president meets with U.S. winners of the Nobel Prize. One of the things that uh, has been out there to shut down the pipeline of Nordstrom One. That matters, right? Okay. Bicarmel, bipartisan support. When you have someone top of mind. Carmel? They're top of mind, exactly Carmel. that. And uh, she was on top of mind. He takes classified information and documents very, very seriously. He takes this very seriously when it comes to classified information. He takes classified information and documents very seriously. That's we take this very seriously, and the president does as well. I just answered the question. I, just, I literally just answered that question. I'm done with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly hope she keeps her job, because what you've just played is the last uh, three months of intros to the Ruthless Variety program. <laughs> <laughs> and if she goes somewhere, we're going to run out of material. Yeah, I just John. I wonder if you can get a bicarmel in the congressional gift shop. Well, I think you could, but it comes with whipped cream and a cherry. On <laughs> oh, my God. Bicarmel. It's probably it's soon that's going to be added to like LGBTQ plus. What is that a new thing? <laughs> yeah, also, the bicarmel group. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is uh, at the end of the day, the reason she subjects herself to this level of humiliation, because that's what this is. When you know you're that terrible at your job and you go out there day after day to get embarrassed, the whole reason she's doing this is because as a Democrat, she's guaranteed she'll get either a job at Amazon or she'll get a show at MSNBC. Mm -hmm. So all she has to do is put up with this long enough. I mean, her predecessor's got a show on MSNBC, so she's going for the same at the very least. And also so just sort of unemployable in any other area beforehand. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
she was a moveon.org activist who's now somehow exactly. a spokesperson for the president of the United States. I mean, this is she's way out of her depth, right? She seems well, she could be a very nice person, but this is this is high water that she's in. I I it's embarrassing. Um, I don't want to give anything up here, but I don't think she's the only former moveon.org activist sitting in that <laughs> briefing room on a day basis. A couple yeah. people behind the camera, you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, More than one. Okay. But nice segue <laughs> into my next point, which is the media coverage of the Biden scandal, right? Instead of drilling down, and a couple did, like the CBS uh, news reporter and CBS broke the story of the Biden documents, was grilling her pretty good. It was actually fun to watch. Um but most of the press is starting to run cover for him and downplay having classified documents after months of telling us how bad it was when it was Trump. And I'll just let, let's go back. Let's do a little memory lane on how CNN reported on the Trump Mar-a-Lago documents and that FBI staged photo where the FBI put all of his documents splayed out to do a little picture art. OK, here's a little sample of how CNN sounded then. The filing includes this photo. It's really something to behold here. Seeing it there laid out, uh, that, that's pretty striking. You <laughs> see these documents all laid out. It is astonishing. It made me ill to see those documents. <laughs> <laughs> sickening. It's sickening. Okay, flash forward to uh, yesterday uh, on the Biden documents, which we conveniently don't have a photo of because it was his own <laughs> personal lawyers doing the search. Listen. All right. This morning, we got some new CNN reporting about how just common it could be for classified documents to be outside of the protected places <laughs> and spaces they're supposed to be in. Experts in this matter say it is known as classified spillage. But this kind of classified spillage happens almost literally oh, every day. There are just <laughs> millions and millions and millions of pieces of classified information, not all of which are exquisite. <laughs> my kids had some classified spillage at breakfast this morning and i'm not sure that i'm not sure that did anything to do with what's going on the other thing is uh about classified documents the one thing you want to make sure of is take as many pictures of them as possible and it's essential that you get that out <laughs> to the free world i gotta respect I, I gotta respect that a company that's doing as poorly as cnn can maintain a stable of idiots <laughs> that large so that you can have one cast of characters on to bemoan Donald Trump and then wholly new people on to say the exact opposite. It's really <laughs> quite amazing bench. A lot of bench, a lot of bench. Isn't it incredible? They're not even trying to like hedge a little and be like, this is really irresistible. This is horrible what he did, you know, but let's talk about why it keeps happening. No, it's just like, of course, it's very common and it happens all. And the nerve in the, for the listening audience in the new clip in which they're like, it's really not a thing. They actually used the Trump photo again right. of the, the FBI did. It's the same photo. <laughs> it's now the stock classified photo, right? I right. Mean, it looks very may, different now, six months later. I don't know why. Something weird. I'm not sure what did the change for me. But yeah, it looks suddenly very, very different. Um, and it wasn't the only thing. I was listening this morning to NPR. I listen to NPR in the mornings and I listen to Daily Wire and some other right and left sites. So you know, got both sides. Same thing on NPR. Long discussion, in fact, on how very common this is. They had some former security experts saying, oh, it happens all the time where someone innocently leaves the department. And then when walking home says, oh, blank, look what I have. It's really not a big deal. <laughs> OK. And by the way, those people, I should note for our audience, they don't have the power to declassify documents like President Trump did. Right. So it's like, but still the vapors, Trump, and Biden classified spillage like something that happens to a nursing mom. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Turley, respected lawyer, 
uh, and professor at George Washington University, is making the point about Biden's personal attorneys and and the justification now that we're seeing um, from the DOJ in having rejected the opportunity to monitor the search. Right. Biden's lawyers found the first tranche November 2nd, contacted the National Archives, who contacted justice. Um, justice was given the opportunity to come and do the remaining search or supervise the remaining search, understanding there might be other documents out there. And they decided against it, per the Wall Street Journal, to avoid complicating later stages of the investigation. What? <laughs> what does that mean? Why couldn't they both supervise the search or do the search and continue investigating how these documents got there to begin with. It's like, it's like right? a police officer that? knocking on your door and be like, all right, I'll give you a 10 count to clean up the crime scene. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think that what's very apparent is what they didn't want to complicate is the midterm elections for Joe Biden. It's yes. the fact that they knew about this ahead of an election. And yet again, the American public voters before they can get to the to the booth are having information hidden from them. Two years before, it was Hunter Biden. This time, it's Joe Biden himself with classified documents all over the place in the garage next to his Corvette. And I think the time frame of that is very key. Number one, of course, that it happened. It was discovered before an election. But number two, these documents had been in Biden's house since he was left uh, as vice president. So six years, six years, he's sitting on classified documents, right? And, and the FBI is mad because Trump, who had left the White House, what, maybe six months earlier, has these documents and they kick in the doors. There's a huge difference in the way that they're handling this and, and, and the way that the Justice Department has made this very clearly political. Smug, I think it's it's interesting that you called it his house, Joe Biden's house. When we have seen documents on Twitter, everybody has seen documents on Twitter where Hunter Biden claims that he owns the house. Yeah. That Hunter, we just saw pictures yesterday, Hunter Biden driving in the Corvette, the famous yep. Corvette where the document's sitting next to him. So there are a lot of questions here that have been unanswered and spillage is there an unsatisfactory is. explanation. Well, yeah, but, but they said in fairness, they said that they're trying not to complicate the later stage of the investigation, which, as we all know, comes in December of 2024 and nothing to see. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can I say so? So, Charlie, to, to the point you just made. Dun so, Duncan, you just made the point on the on the door. This is what Charlie says. He says, this is akin to saying I could have used my keys to enter the home, but that would have meant I could not later force the residents to open the door. Right. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> There's a very easy way to handle this. Go down there, supervise the search. If anything is found, you take it. But he is still ultimately accountable for how it got there to begin with. There's no reason more from Turley. There's no plausible reason why, given the chance, the DOJ would not want to conduct the national security search itself. It opted instead to allow uncleared attorneys to search for additional classified material under a type of look, but please don't read edict. He says, as somebody who's worked with classified evidence uh, at the top secret level since the Reagan administration, this decision is breathtaking. He says it effectively replaced well-established national security protocols with an honor system to be followed by persons unknown. The approach was grossly negligent. They rolled the dice and they lost because they did find additional documents that the personal lawyers never should have seen. It was first his actual personal lawyers, and then it was lawyers within the White House counsel's office who he hired to run cover for him on the coming Republican House and whatever investigations they would run. 
And in case you have any doubts about this guy's feelings about whether he's an objective person, this this special counsel lawyer, uh, he's already come out and said um, the Republicans are playing politics. They're shamelessly hypocritical um, and gone on to attack the Republicans time and time again. They have no credibility. Why are they politicizing this issue? And so this is not an honest broker. It's his <laughs> personal lawyer by another name. Yeah. Well, that I think you put your finger on it there. I mean, you saw I think it was in the Post or the Times yesterday where there was some conjecture back and forth about this very topic and why DOJ didn't get involved from the very beginning. And it, there was some statement inferring that they didn't want to complicate things for this her guy, the, the guy who's who's running the special counsel, which tells me everything I needed to know about why Merrick Garland appointed the the special counsel in the first place, right? I mean, they're like, no, 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 this guy's got it. We don't need to look for anything. This guy's got. It. And by the way, Congress, you don't need to investigate this either because it could complicate that guy's investigation. Does anybody think that dude is going to present any damning evidence against the president of the United States at mm -hmm. any point? It's already been no. handled. I mean, let, that's the other thing. If you had a DOJ lawyer, or an FBI guy in there doing the sifting, you could put him on the stand. You could put him under oath. You could put him in front of a grand jury. You could ask him questions. But the reason people like Joe Biden use lawyers is the same reason why Hillary Clinton used lawyers to do all of her dirty work. They're trying to stop us from getting any info by later citing the attorney client privilege that or yeah. work product privilege that this uh, there's a reason there's a special relationship. I'm not allowed to. And then every actual admission will be a fight. There's th this has all been set up and you avoid photographs and so on. Right. And there's the other problem, too, which is now they're saying, well, we can't provide any we can't tell you who may have had access to these documents over the years because there's no visitors log. There's no visitors log. And Andy McCarthy's mm -hmm. pointing out, OK, so you're telling me, God forbid, somebody posed a security threat to Joe Biden. You know, somebody tr attempted to hurt him. You don't think the Secret Service would be able to go back and tell us everybody who had visited the Wilmington House since, you know, he was vice president forward? Sure. No, what a great point. What a great point. No, I mean, there's a willful neglect here that's been very clear since the beginning of the story. And by the way, I don't even think the story is even close to over at this point. I mean, we're finding new documents every day. They're in garages. They're in the pen centers that are funded by the Chinese. They're like, we're nowhere near the end of this. And I, I mean, I don't know. The funny thing is the explanation at the beginning, the, the spillage thing. That may have worked with the American people if they hadn't spent the previous 120 days convincing the American people that any document that leaves secure facilities uh, is the worst thing in the history of the world. And Donald Trump ought to be yes. locked up for it. Yeah. But having done that now, well, it's a pretty complicated situation for themselves. Yeah. By the way, we did cut the NPR soundbite. Listen to this. Turns out it's not unusual for outgoing government oh. officials to find classified documents <laughs> laying around. So a classified document at the CIA can be kept in the same filing cabinet for years, but at the White House, it has to be packed up and moved when an administration changes, and so this could make it vulnerable to some sort of mishandling. I've known several people who have retired, and after they retire, they're going through their box, and it's like, whoa, how did that get in here? <laughs> My God. <laughs> Well, what you do, you call two uh, Marines in a truck and they come, they show up, they should put everything in the back and whole, I mean, and lo and behold, who could be blamed? Yeah, it's so I think funny. It's I, I don't feel like this was the messaging after Mar-a-Lago, guys. I'll go back and check, but I <laughs> yeah. listen to that podcast every day. I think it sounded different. <laughs> you may have. It, it, it's I think, you know, what you see here is a pattern we see with the media on a host of topics. The first one that comes to mind is COVID.
right? It's like they spend all of this time trying to convince us of one thing and demonize us or demonize Republicans or demonize Trump. And lo and behold, two years later, suddenly they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe we are yes. over-reporting COVID deaths. <laughs> oh, sorry. We, we went on we television that? every day to say you were a murderer for going outside without a mask on. But we've discovered now that maybe we were wrong and we all got to move on together. No, they, but they'll never say they were wrong. They're just moving with new yeah, information. Right, oh, right. no, right. right. It's no new. Retrospective. All right, wait, I've got to squeeze in a quick break and then we are going to play uh, the the Dr. Leanna Wen soundbite from CNN. This is a person she used to run Planned Parenthood. Then she got booted. Then she took a job at CNN and she was their go to on mandatory masks, mandatory vaccines. It, the, the nation's well-being depends on it. And then I think she got sick of seeing her own kids in masks. That's my own supposition. And her message changed. And now she's bringing truth to CNN. Finally, she will be the standard bearer for truth. That's up uh. next. Don't go away. Ruthless stays with us. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit tnusa.com. Megan. Guys, you may not know this, but they they might be overcounting COVID deaths at the hospitals. No, I just you don't brace say. yourselves. They they might be. Um, and we know this because Dr. Leanna Wen, the woman I described before the break, um, first wrote an op ed in The Washington Post, letting people know and then talked about it on CNN. Now, let me take it to her Washington Post op ed. We are. This is the headline overcounting COVID deaths and hospitalizations. That's a problem. She says that's a problem. Okay. <laughs> According to the CDC, uh, we're experiencing 400 COVID deaths every day. Uh, but are these Americans dying from COVID or with COVID? My God, what a good question. I wish somebody had thought before now to ask that. That's brilliant, Dr. Wen. Uh, understanding this distinction is crucial to putting the continuing toll of the coronavirus into perspective. Determining how likely it is that an infection will result in hospitalization or death helps people weigh their own risk. It also enables health officials to assess when vaccine effectiveness wanes and future rounds of boosters are needed. A gunshot victim or someone who had a heart attack, for example, could test positive for the virus, but the infection has no bearing on why they sought medical care. How did she come to this realization, guys? Well, she spoke with two infectious disease experts who estimated yeah. at one of their hospitals, 90% of the patients diagnosed with COVID are actually in the hospital for something else. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, so this, so it's, it's absurd. Michael Sanger, he tweets out, he's a contributor to Tablet, which is a great magazine, tweets out breaking. Super sleuth Leanna Wen <laughs> tells CNN we've been vastly overcounting COVID deaths, outlining lining the, cru the crucial distinction between deaths with COVID and deaths from it. How did we miss this? And then she goes on CNN 
and discusses this because she's a contributor there. And this was the question in response from Poppy Harlow. It wasn't, my God, the irresponsibility of us all overstating this one. By the way, we've all known this for two years. Here's where she went. And I just wonder if you're concerned for people at risk like that or other vulnerable groups that this give can give fodder to um, to conspiracy theorists, to those who downplay <laughs> COVID, to anti-vaxxers. I have had criticism on both sides. I think at the end of the day, we just need the truth. Yeah, that's the concern. That would be nice. Yeah. What are the conspiracy Maybe. theories the theorists or anti-vaxxers going to do with this, Doc? What do you make of it? <laughs> Megan, I know that you have spent a lot of time on your show talking about the downfall of late night comedy and where did it go and why did it go away? But who needs late night comedy when you have all this on daytime cable? <laughs> I mean, literally, the news is a the it's the greatest comedy of the modern day. <laughs> it's incredible. So I can't imagine it. It goes back to our previous segment where we were talking about how they just sort of present new facts as if nobody was talking about right. it the it's, whole time. They have a sociopathic ability to do so. It's, it's wild. It is so incredible. Like the brazenness of it is if the country hadn't it hadn't occurred to anybody, you know, since moment one. That COVID deaths were overcounted. I mean, like, do we not have a national discussion about that for two years? And now she shows up and she's like, guys, I got I got some new information. Sit down. <laughs> I have Sit talked down. to at least two doctors. And these people, they tell me the gunshot wounds, not a COVID death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm taking criticism from both sides. And I mean, I'm I, taking I think that's part of the problem is we never did have a national conversation on it. Because if you did ask any questions, you were called a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And you could get banned off of Twitter. Um, yeah. you, had, you, had, you had Democrats who were saying that you were going to be responsible for a winter of death. <laughs> so that's the way that anyone who asked any questions was treated. And now they're wondering, oh, how did we not we're, know about this? We didn't. Maybe if you allow open discussions, you can come to rational conclusions. And that, wild and, idea. And that's the most fascinating part at the end of that clip, right? Is this going to give fodder to conspiracy theorists? Who are right all along. Who are right all along, obviously. <laughs> and what you, you come to find out is that those terms like conspiracy theorist or anti-vaxxer or whatever, for the, the vast majority of their use case in mainstream media is just to preserve their role as gatekeeper. Bingo. It doesn't matter that they were wrong. They get when they're ready to tell you the truth, that's when you get to accept it. Well, and and if you ever doubt that, they will deplatform you. They will call you a conspiracy theorist. But wait until these guys get a load of the fact that you can still get COVID after you get vaccinated. They're really <laughs> gonna be surprised by that. That is that's gonna be a shocking conspiracy. We've heard of this new thing, guys. Yeah, it's called natural immunity. <laughs> can you can you believe this? Nobody told us about this. It turns out if you wear three masks and you get the shot, it's still possible. <laughs> it's really unbelievable. It's really disgusting. And these same people who are trying to like force the vaccines on everybody because you know, okay, uh, you're going to die if you don't take it. Oh wait, maybe not. Maybe you just got shot by a gun. Um, they're now in court right now. The Biden administration trying to make us wear masks again on airplanes. Remember, remember how that went away? There was a judge in Florida who said this is not constitutional. He didn't have the powers to do this. And the Biden administration administration appealed it. That ruling to this. Remember all the videos of the people on the airplanes like, yes, rip, yeah. ripping the masks off. It was in response to that ruling. So it's now up to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers Florida, among other places. And um, Biden administration went in there on Tuesday to argue we did have the power and it should be reinstated. And now that's that's up for grabs. I mean, that could they could be coming back now because, you know, Biden just extended the emergency declaration quietly last week. 
So he's still got his national emergency powers. And he's in court right now saying, let me mask the people up again on the buses and the trains and the subways. It's my power. And, and it's it's for you know the good of the nation. It says something, though, about the silos of information that these people live in, right? I mean, the, the idea that you can go to court and try to now overturn it to get everybody to wear masks again is crazy enough on its face. But the idea that even if they won that court decision, that anybody's going to listen to it in this country is not, it's madness, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know, talk to your neighbor, ask if they're interested in putting a, fi- a five-year-old in a mask again. I'm yeah, gonna tell yeah, you, right. They're going to tell you to F off pretty fast. Right. Talk to some parent who's gone through this winter where RSV cases are like 7x what they were yeah. in 2019 as a result of us masking kids for two years. You destroyed any sort of herd immunity that we had for these other viruses. I mean, it has been a tough, tough winter for parents with oh small God, kids. Yeah. As one of them, I know it's just been horrible. And the idea I would ever put kids back into a, a mask is insane. <laughs> you know, CNN now is putting her up as like newsflash, breaking news. They're overstating the COVID deaths. And, you know, it's possible that it's not quite as deadly as we all led you to believe, right, for years, right? Because she doesn't put it like that because that would require some accountability. But this is, I'll take you again down memory lane back to CNN uh, September 2021, where people were raising these questions on the right. We're being fed these astronomical numbers of COVID deaths. Are they reliable? Are they are we, we've been asking on the right and independent media for two years now of COVID or with COVID because it matters and complaining that we weren't getting those distinctions from hospitals and doctors releasing the numbers and that the rest of the media wasn't demanding said distinctions because the failure to distinguish was changing our lives, our children's lives in very meaningful and profound ways. And in response to those of us in the media, like you guys, like this show, like many other shows, uh, asking those questions, but none in the mainstream. Here was Don Lamont, September 2021. Yes. <laughs> the people who are not getting vaccines, who are believing the lies on the Internet instead of science, it's time to start shaming them. What else? Or leave them behind. <laughs> oh, it's a nice touch to have Cuomo in there too. Man. Yeah. I miss, I miss You're welcome. Glory days. Day. It was <laughs> the best of the best. I mean, it's true. Oh, I heard yeah. you guys. What, you guys were playing a clip from the World Economic Forum, and you saw the potato. You call him the yeah. potato. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting. I miss him. You know, Brian the fantastic crew. Yeah. <laughs> I miss him. No, it's. I I think what's really funny is you know when we started talking about this on Ruthless, you know. Two years ago, you went on Spotify and suddenly they were putting a covid banner on all of our episodes yeah. so that people wouldn't be misinformed. Yeah. You know, about what was happening with COVID in this country, you know, because people like Don Lemon would go on national television and cl- complain about people who are spreading misinformation. Turns out we were all right. So, like, where is our compensation for that? <laughs> right, you know, how, right. where do we go to, to get made made whole? on revenue lost or whatever. Or rep- well, I understand that the, the task forces I, I out in San Francisco are very generous with the public's money. Maybe you could go to them. Go to San Francisco <laughs> Reparations <laughs> Committee. That was I, we I, should be in line for reparations. I, I There's no question right. about I, that. I think I think we all know exactly where where they're going to tell us we can go if we come looking for something. Yeah, I, I well, they're going to uh, be as accountable on this as they were on the disinformation experts, uh, the intelligence experts on the Hunter yeah. Biden laptop. That's, that's exact. There's no accountability for these people. They're just there just never has been any accountability for them. And the, the only accountability is people you not know, watching them. Right. 
Well, this people oh, vote not. by not uh, turn on the TV. This gets to this gets to a question that actually occurred to to me. What is the profile of a person who is out there in the CNN audience, which we all know is shrinking? What is the profile of a person who was watching yesterday and saw this segment and was like, "Wow, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take my mask off. They're overcounting. I'm I'm free. I mean, like free at last. What's the, the profile same, of that? I thought the exact same thing. It's like. What enclave are you residing in where you, this is news? You're like, right. holy shit. You mean it's not killing everybody? I, hey, kids, kids, come out of the den. Get your ass <laughs> off. It's unbelievable. We're free. Yeah, I, I'm not a big believer in red flag laws. But if we have a red flag law in the country, it would be it should be for somebody who was surprised by that information. <laughs> well, no, I guarantee you the vast majority of their audience saw that and they were like, oh, no, Leanna Wen's been co-opted by the right. She's a right winger now. <laughs> She's spreading disinformation. This is dangerous. It should be censored. Um, by the way, I have, I have an update on, on just how poorly the, these networks are doing. And you're going to be really interested in it. But that's, that's what we call a tease. I'm going to keep oh, you over nice. to hear okay. the actual Clipping. bloodbath numbers that are happening right now uh, as a result of coverage like that. Uh, the hosts of the Ruthless Podcast stay with us, folks. And don't forget, you can find this show, The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. The full video show and clips. The clips are fun. When you subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, it's always easy, right? You're doing your makeup. You're doing your household chores. You can just listen to the pod. Go on over to any place you get your podcast for free. Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher. And there you'll find our full archives as well with 475 shows. Don't forget, while I have your attention, sign up for our American News Minute. That's all our week's news in one minute or less. All the national headlines plus the fun stuff you may have missed on the show with those clips. Go to MeganKelly.com. Okay, Megan Kelly, M-E-G-Y-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com. Sign up now. You get it tomorrow. Uh, and there's some fun things in there, including not so great things about Mr. Unwick. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself, these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Megan. I'm going to give you an update on the rating situation, and then we're going to have a fun conversation, boys. Um, okay, here's the latest. MSNBC ratings. Uh, this is just from last Friday. Joy Reid. Okay. In the demo, I'll just give you some perspective. Okay. Just not for nothing, but uh, we pulled October, 2016 when I was hosting the Kelly file. This is the demo 25 to 54, right? Not the overall household, which is always much bigger. That, that, that back then would have been, I don't know, four to 6 million at that point. Um, Kelly file pulled in 641,000 in the average demo. Okay. That's on any given night between six and 700,000. 
Uh, right now, and I'll, and I'll give him a, I'll give him this. It's not an election year, right? October 16th, that was a hot, hot time. Uh, but it wasn't that inflated from where I normally was. Now, Joy Reid, 7 p.m., 96,000 in the key demo. 96. Chris Hayes, 106. Alex Wagner, the new Rachel Maddow, 82,000. 82. Lawrence O'Donnell, 88,000. CNN, not doing much better. They're hovering around, this is just Tuesday night of this week. Anderson Cooper, 135,000, barely above. Uh, 11 p.m., they're, whatever show they're putting on across from Gutfeld, 97,000. Gutfeld is getting 346,000. So three times, right, as much. And uh, there was reporting just this year, 2022 was the worst single year ever in the demo and the overhaul, overall for both MSNBC and CNN. Well, something's wrong with the business model, folks. You hate to see it, Megan. You really hate to see it. <laughs> uh, Couldn't happen so to hard. a better group of people. They tried so hard. And, you know, it helps you. You have literally hundreds, if not thousands of people working on set designs and all these things. We got uh, four beat-offs with a USB mic thrown <laughs> <laughs> in the side of our computer, and somehow we're dominating look, them. Look at our sign tape to the television. Real professional <laughs> operation here. Think Good. about, like, Steven Crowder, right? He's He's come on the program. He's hilarious. He's got like almost 7 million followers on YouTube, almost 7 wow. million. He's crushing these guys. You guys are crushing them. I am crushing them with ease. But it's yeah. like, it just, it's a further example of how like the game has changed. The game is over here. It's in our lane, in independent media, in digital media. These old dinosaurs are dead and they don't even know it. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, look, just media consumption in general is changing all the time. You know, I mean, you're an expert at this. But but what's so fascinating is that the new innovation has sort of come with this reduced credibility mm-hmm. and a commitment to the bit by these guys, right? So not only is it not objective and it, it just sort of tailors towards your ideology, but it's also just wrong, right? right? Right. And then in addition to that, it's super not entertaining. Right. Right. <laughs> Where it's like you're just a bunch of scolds sitting around. Right. And right. When, when you're thinking about it from an audience perspective, other than the ideologues out there, the average person who t- turns in, tunes into the news, they want information. They want to know that it's honest. They want to know that it's accurate because they don't have a very, very big period of time that they can watch and consume. So they just want to get some information and be able to tell their friends. And you cannot get that from CNN. We, you can't get it from NPR. We, we just heard that over and over and over again just on this show on one subject. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I think ended up happening, especially at CNN, is when uh, President Trump took office, they essentially mortgaged their future on betting that we can just create an audience whose entire personality is being mad at Trump, that they're being mad at the fact that President Trump is in the White House. So they rode this kind of like sugar high during the Trump years. They all were getting their book deals. They all were uh, uh, trying to make themselves look like they're journalists who are the guardians of truth in America, standing against tyranny and absolutism. And now President Trump's not in the White House and they have no idea what to do, because if if the only reason you're a deranged individual watching this channel is because I want to see what President Trump did today and get angry. You don't have that anymore. Right. You're just so you're... renting them for a couple of years. Exactly. Not, they don't actually care about you or your host or, or what you're providing them. And That's so right. CNN gave up their they had built up during the first Persian Gulf War, their entire reputation of, OK, you're going to see Wolf Blitzer with Scud missiles flying over his head, that this is hard hitting journalism. 
that's all gone. They mortgaged all of that. They gave it all away for this short-term sugar high of just being deranged about President Trump. And now, now 80,000 people watching. That's unbelievable. I saw a statistic where uh, Tucker Carlson's rerun at 1 a.m. is crushing any of the ratings on those other channels. <laughs> it, always it, it always did. It was always the same for O'Reilly, for me, for Greta, for Hannity. The, our reruns always crushed everybody. It got to the point where we never even looked at MSNBC or CNN. We only looked at each other as competition because <laughs> everybody else was boring. It was like nobody was else was even close. Um, and Fox is still doing fine. But these other th their business model on these people who have gone hardcore partisan, anti-Trump, anti-Republicans, we hate you, we loathe you. If you watch Fox News, you don't walk away saying they hate me if I'm a Democrat. You don't. Mm -hmm. So many Democrats watch Fox News and honestly, we'll watch programs like yours and my and mine, too, because they know we don't hate them. You know, we're mm -hmm. we hate what some on the far left are doing to our country and we'll stand up against it. But the whole business model is not revolved, uh, revolves. It doesn't revolve around ruination over an entire group of, you know, half the country, right? That's not how it is. Yeah, right. But that's what MSNBC and CNN did. And, and I said that they're dead dinosaur. You know what they're more like? They're more like the car. They're, they're, they are like the deer that gets hit by the car and it runs for another 50 yards before it knows it's dead. <laughs> Talk about ruthless. They're in their last 50 yards. <laughs> oh my god that's very like cutting the head off the chicken and watching it yeah. run around a little bit that's, yeah no it kind of feels right i mean i i've talked to a, a bunch of, of friends in sort of journalism corporate journalism while this was happening right and you noticed that their social media following during the trump years went from you know sort of a higher educated higher minded like people who read the washington post new york times generally you know 10 years ago to entirely left-wing activists to the point where like if you ever tweeted something that they retweeted your timeline was just filled with psychopaths yeah. right so you could yes. watch it happen in real time and you, you realize that they were just narrowing the sliver of their appeal to one segment of the population that at some point when the candy was gone it was gone it was all over i mean they knew what was happening at the time but they still just could not get out of the need to try to maximize that moment. Yeah, it's sort of their dead cat bounce, right? Like that's what the Trump administration was for these people. Because I think the writing has been on the wall about media ecosystem fracturing to things like podcasts and streaming and all of this for a very long time. Yeah. This was the one thing that prolonged, I think, their their demise. But I think it wasn't just the partisanship. Obviously, this kind of goes hand in hand, but it's also the trust factor. And I think COVID has revealed that now because these folks, as they're sort of seeing their numbers go down, have looked to things like, you know, alternative media like Ruthless or, or Megyn Kelly and been like, well, you just can't trust those people. Like, mm -hmm, we right. need ra a rating system for right. media and, right. and, and we need to impose on these social media platforms and, you know, a, a change to their algorithm that prioritizes trusted content like ours. Yeah. That's well, where's, where's their argument for that now? It's, it's right. nowhere. Yeah. Right. They, they never. As they cash their checks from Pfizer. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> they never question. They never question their assumptions. And I think that that is that is one of their biggest Achilles. And if you look at like every everybody in their audience went to elementary school, everybody learned about the scientific method. Everybody knew that the first step in the scientific method is observe and question. And so when they hear COVID news and they're like, oh, no, you're not allowed to ask that question. You're not allowed to offer that observation. You just have to take this bureaucrat's word for what you're supposed to do to yourself into your children it's and by the way responsibility exactly by the way shut down your business and be happy about it <laughs> mm -hmm. and yes. and if you if if you complain you're the problem
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like people are tired of that. They're like, okay, well, maybe my ideas aren't always the right ones. Maybe somebody else has the right idea. That's what they're, they, they want to be a and part they of insult. society. They insult the viewing public by taking somebody like Don Lamont with that absurd soundbite, which, you know, I mean, we could run 25 of those just off the top of my head of him saying things like that and mocking the right and all that stuff. But now he's on the morning show, like literally wearing a sweatshirt (laughs) with a jacket over it. Like it's this is the new relaxed Don Lamont, who's like morning Don Lamont, who's going to be, I guess, more fair Don Lamont. So far, no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, Don Lime. (laughs) Don <laughs> I like that. And they think we're not that's, going oh, that's to remember. That's a real remember. good dad joke. Yeah. It's a dad joke. It's probably why I like it so much. They think we're not going to remember. Okay, let's move on because I, I have a couple of stories I need to get to with you. Stormy Daniels, back in the news, boys. Yes, she is. She was the porn star with whom Trump allegedly had an affair. Michael Cohen went to jail, you may remember, over the payments he made to Stormy Daniels of 130000 bucks to keep her quiet in advance of of Trump's uh, presidential contest in 2016. And he wound up pleading guilty and said, OK, fine, I did it. I paid her off to keep her quiet. She was represented by Avenatti and Michael Cohen at the time when he first got into hot water for this illegal campaign comp- contribution, which ultimately he agreed it was. Um, he was represented uh, by this guy, David Schwartz. OK. And initially, Michael Cohen's position was, as it had been for so many years, Donald Trump did nothing wrong. It was all me. It was all me. I was his fixer. I was his Ray Donovan. Donald Trump didn't know anything about it. And then ultimately, he changed his tune. You remember like the sad Michael Cohen who'd been kicked out of the Trump orbit, who now was like, it was all Trump. It was all Trump. So Michael Cohen went to jail. Now, the New York prosecutor is once again resuming this inquiry, the DA's office, uh, Manhattan DA, working with um, Michael Cohen to try to get him to say again his new line, which is it was all Trump. It wasn't me. Trump knew all about it because they're trying to get Trump on this. Trump's got seven different investigations going into him. But this Manhattan DA's office is the latest favorite to try to get him on this payment to Stormy Daniel by using Michael Cohen. I'm going to take you down through memory lane when that guy, David Schwartz, Michael Cohen's lawyer, came on my show speaking for Michael Cohen and had a very different message at NBC. This was about whether Trump knew anything about this, which I challenged him on. Listen. And you are claiming that Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer and fixer, the Ray Donovan character, never, ever told Donald Trump about it. Never, never, never told him. And Michael Cohen dispensed one hundred thirty thousand dollars of his own money and never sought reimbursement from Uh, Donald Trump. Hundred percent. So so the way no one believes that, David. I'm challenging you on 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 the impossibility that he paid one hundred thirty grand for something he didn't do and never sought reimbursement from his client. When you're looking at it in a vacuum, like when but if you understand the relationship here it makes complete sense the truth is he loves he loves the boss and he did it out of love he he did it everybody should want an employee like this who would be so loyal so loyal to your boss so loyal to your boss that you will protect that person you know they're they're laughing at you it's easy it's easy it's easy master stroke megan <laughs> what are fun. the hallmarks of the entire trump 
years, whether it was through Trump himself or everybody sort of is horribly bad attorneys. I mean, <laughs> like even call it himself. But the, the, what like you can't turn around without seeing another clown come on and misrepresent. I mean, that was the funniest damn thing I've seen in a long time. That guy. He actually believed that you would buy that bullshit story. You know, I, I, I know. hesitate to repeat this. I hesitate to repeat this. But a very good friend of mine is one of his attorneys. And he told me that MAGA actually stands for making attorneys get attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what this is. Cohen, that's Cohen's lawyer. Cohen's a lawyer. This is his lawyer. And now Cohen is trying to convince the, or at least working with the Manhattan DA to try to put this around Trump's neck as the real person behind the uh, the illegal campaign contribution, uh, to which this would count as to Stormy Daniels. It's going to be interesting. They're not going to let him go. They are going to have to let him go on the classified documents, but maybe they'll get him on Stormy. We'll see. All right. Turning the page, literally, to the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, I was today years old when I found out that there are Canadian teams in the NHL. <laughs> but I'm like, why are all these Canadian broadcasters bitching about the NHL? Stay in your lane. Shut up. Show that I, I know nothing. Uh, nothing I love that so much. Sports. That's a good question. So, Me- Megan, you will never believe this. There's actually soccer in this country. Dude. It's totally <laughs> blows through my mind, too. I had no idea. I'm like, shut up. Canadians. Uh, but it turns out they have a right to complain because they're in the NHL, too. So it shows that I know. Um, Philadelphia Flyers are amidst in a controversy now because their defenseman, Ivan Provorov, who is of Russian origins, um, he came from Russia to the United States as a teenager. He signed a six year, 40 million dollar deal in 2019 with the Philadelphia Flyers. Good for him. And the Flyers now, I guess, are going woke. I don't know. NHL wokeness has come to the NHL, which. OK. Um, and they decided that on Tuesday's game, during the pregame skate um, only, I guess, they were supposed to wear a pride-themed warm-up jersey. Pride, because, you know, they've got to, like, stand up for gay rights and trans rights before the hockey game gets started. I guess this is going to change hearts and minds across America. Very important. And this guy Very said, important. I'm not doing it. Not doing He said, respectfully, he said, I'm of Russian or- Orthodox faith, and I respect everyone's choices, but my choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. And that's all I'm going to stay, say, well, I mean, they're actual, there's some calls for him to be fired. One guy was saying he should be shipped back to Russia and forced to fight against the Ukrainians. Um, yeah. And then you have this the NHL network, <laughs> right? So, so warm and fuzzy, uh, this crew. Now, where's the guy? I'm looking at my very lengthy soundbite list for the guy who had his meltdown, the Canadian guy, Debbie, your people, Canadian Debbie knows she knows them all. What is it? Stop 15. I can't keep them all. Okay. Okay. Canadian Canadian breakfast television. This is breakfast television. Imagine getting this dose to you over your morning tea. Sid Sixero, who for whatever it's worth is straight, but woke is very, very upset over this. Watch. The theme from the National Hockey League is hockey is for everyone. Okay. The theme is not hockey is for everyone, dot, 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 unless you don't believe in gay rights, then do whatever you want. Could change with the NHL. I think you find the Flyers a million dollars for this. I'm not kidding. The National Hockey League need to attack this and figure this out. Because what I heard last night was offensive. If anyone in Canada or in the States on a military appreciation night wouldn't wear a jersey pregame, do you have any idea the uproar that would have happened on that. Do you have any idea of the backlash? And one last point. Nothing scares me more than any human being who says, I'm not doing this because of my religious beliefs. 
The National Hockey League today needs to find that organization a million dollars and reevaluate how they support gay rights. Because that is insulting. That is the number one trending topic in Canada. That is insulting what happened in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wonder if it's the number one trending topic in Canada because everybody shares his point of view. My guess is, yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> about. Could be. I mean, that's a lot of the reaction was, this is what it's like to be Canadian now. Like, to be get, get lectured on, on wokeness at every turn. And outrage when, you know, the guy's got to be fined a million dollars for his religious beliefs. Um, okay, here's another sampling for you. Um, TSN, which is, what is it again? It's the Hockey Network. I don't know. It's the TSN. <laughs> the Sports Network. See, sorry. Um, the Sports Network has a commentator on hockey named Gord Miller, who tweeted out, Ivan Provorov had the right to refuse to participate in Pride Night in Philadelphia. The Flyers should have responded by not allowing him to play in the game. Freedom of expression doesn't give you freedom from the consequences of your words or actions. Hello, McFly, if you if you penalize the speech that undermines free speech, what a dumbass! Honestly, like, yeah, sure. I'm sure every NFL hockey player will be sure to assert their religious objections in the future if they have to be fined a million dollars or if they're not allowed to play in the games. That's not how free speech works. And how about that dumb guy that we just played from morning television trying to compare the service of veterans to flying a, a flag? in support of ambiguous gay rights. I don't even know what I'm supporting. There's so many letters in there. Am I supporting the LGP? Am I supporting the T? Because there's issues with the T that you don't have with the L and B and G that doesn't get me upset. Like, how does this guy even know? Who even knows what we're supporting? I don't blame him for not wanting to wear the jersey. Yeah, the, the great irony is I guarantee you that that guy and, and probably everybody that's commented on this had a strong opinion about Colin Kaepernick's yeah. ability to kneel oh, yeah. and wa- and right. wanted all NFL football players to show deference to that point of view by together in mass kneeling, right? I mean, it's political statements, right? They, it, the, the, what the left has done to every institution in this country that's worth anything is to try to enforce a point of view through this kind of thing, right? I mean, people went to go see a hockey game. I doubt very much that they wanted everybody's political views as a part of that. But that's what has happened to sports as it did with entertainment, right? You can't get an Oscar unless you have some left wing sort of narrative in your in your movie. They did it in the doing it with corporations. We've talked a lot on your show about how, how corporations have been a part of this. But this is the kind of thing that they're mainstreaming through sports now to tell a fan. If you don't believe exactly what we believe you should be ostracized you should be shunned and the person who stood up for that should be fined a million dollars probably sent back to russia to fight ukraine right because his his argument can be flipped on its head so easily if hockey is for everyone does that mean it's for orthodox christians or is it not for orthodox christians right Right. Right. So I, you know, are they going to have a crucifix night and, and make everyone wear a crucifix and someone, uh, you know, a, a Jewish player can't except is the is the Muslim player going to chug a beer because it's five five cent beer night. What if this had been a Muslim you know, like, player objecting? Like it's just absurd. It's sir. It's absurd on its face. On what its do you face. think, Duncan, if this had been a Muslim player, Stephen L. Miller on online was asking this question. If this had been a Muslim player saying I'm not going to support that, you think the backlash would have been anywhere near this loud? No, no, no. no. No, because then, you know, there's all these concentric circles in the woke agenda and like mm-hmm. they get a pass. 
but like the white Christian guy does not get a pass mm -hmm. because none of this is actually logical. All it is is they want to enforce the ideology of the regime. We went in this country from a place of tolerance and common decency to each other. And like, we're not going to agree on everything. And that's okay to no, we have a regime ideology that we're going to enforce through media and through now even sports. They can't even give us that. Right. And if you, if you are not in line with that, you will be punished. You know, there's a guy who I don't always agree with. He's he's off the left end, but I follow him on Twitter. And I know, Megan, you talk to him from time to time. And he is an advocate for gay rights. His name's Glenn Greenwald. And yeah, Glenn that. Greenwald tweeted about this. He commented on this. And you, Megan, you, you you've talked about this on your show. And what he said was, you know, I'm just paraphrasing here. There's always been an internal debate. But if you look at what the consensus view was, it never had anything to do with forcing people to wear rainbow flags against their will or be publicly shamed for not doing it. Right. right. That's the point. Yeah, I mean, this is activist. It's I mean, I think it's 100 percent what has become of progressivism is it's almost completely the same type of approach that. The Maoists used during the Cultural Revolution and their struggle sessions like you. If you do not sufficiently celebrate what we tell you, you should face dire consequences and be shunned from from the group. You should be put in an out group. And that's the exact same way that they are enforcing their ideology on everybody right now. And it's sports. I, for God's yeah, sakes, they just, won't give it to us. Just, uh, <laughs> oh, I just want to watch a damn hockey game. My <laughs> life is full with this shit. I just want to watch one <laughs> hockey game. No. Not tonight, pal. Not tonight. It's true. No, it's true that I was listening to the guys um, on commentary uh, podcast and they were saying this was this reminds you of the the black squares on Instagram. You know, oh, the day yeah. that you're supposed to everybody's supposed to post a black square for BLM. And then people started yeah. shaming each other. That's how that Jessica Mulrooney, who's the daughter of the former Canadian prime minister, her downfall professionally started there, if memory serves, because there was a person of color with whom she did business who saw she didn't post the, the black square and got mad and was like, I really want to see that. I want to see that go up. And I think Jessica Mulrooney decided not to do it for whatever reasons. And um, I mean, who the hell did it? Like only the most woke of the woke is posting that stuff. And um, then then there was a cat fight. And then this woman's like, and you did all this other shit to me. And I'm a person of color. And Jessica Mulrooney was canceled from GMA and ABC and all these other uh, deals. But it started with the black. So the thing is, you have to post the black square. You have to wear the jersey if you are. It's it really is compelled speech. And if the government were doing it, it would be blatantly illegal. We're having cases like that decided every day in the in the age of this wokeness. Um, but it's also pernicious to have a private organization make you do it when, as you point out, the guy signed up to play hockey. Where in his deal does it say he's got to be the standard bearer for whoever's flavor of the day? Right. Well, well you know what? To play devil's advocate, it is solving all of our problems. Oh, I mean, it actually is helping society come together. <laughs> this, this society has just never been more unified than it is today. Thanks to the black squares and the jerseys and everything else that they well, do. Nothing, nothing is is quite like crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, like posting a black square on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's literally the least you can do. Solidarity. It's so Listen to this woman. It, Look, it NHL helps, writer. Right? I mean, Rachel Melanta, she tweets out being LGBT plus again, what's in there? I got L, I got G, I got B. T, I think needs a separation because it's got a totally different fight going on that even people in the LGB are objecting to. I don't know what's in plus. As a lawyer, I like to have clearly defined terms. Network. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. So true. Right. Who am I supporting? And plus, what is that? Okay. It's not a choice, she says. By the way, okay. It's not. Are you sure? Because um, I'm. I, the messaging on the T is very different. Being ignorant, obnoxious, and homophobic is a choice. Ivan Provorov wasn't wearing the uniform tonight, and the Flyers should not have let him play. Stop letting bigots hide behind their cherry-picked religion. Do better. Do better. Don't let him hide. He's a bigot because he won't don, because that's what his church, what, doesn't support the fact that a girl can become a boy or a boy can become a girl. Yet That's Christianity. Yeah. Hello. That's sorry. So we're all bigots. If you share that basic belief that you can't change your gender, bigot, you shouldn't be allowed to play your, your chosen, you know, his 40 million co- contract gone. <laughs> I mean, who, who, who's cherry picking the religion? Is it the guy who's Russian Orthodox or is it the lady who's just a deranged white liberal lady who's <laughs> mad on the internet? Right. One of them cherry picked a religion that they now was topping off and the, fourth, about it. the fourth glass of Chardonnay and she doesn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that nothing has anything to do with gay rights. Right. It, it just yes. as the black square had nothing to do with civil rights. It, it's all a theatrical production to try to shame people into conforming to whatever you say this theatrical protection actually does, right? Because it doesn't actually make anybody's life actually better. I mean, I don't know what the purpose of all, I guess, inclusion, hockey's for everyone. Like, look, do what you need to do. But don't be surprised when you cause more problems than you attempted to solve here, mm-hmm. right? Which is what's what this is all about, why we're talking about it. Don't right, does. right now, the league is standing behind him. And uh, so is the coach. The, the league is saying... Um, Hold on. I want to. The coach says, uh, "Okay, that the Russian defenseman was true to himself and to his religion. That's one thing I respect about him. He's always true to himself." The NFL says players are free to decide which initiatives to support, and goes on from there. So NHL, whatever you know, whatever the hockey people, they're they're on the side (laughs) of you're a big big hockey fan. That sounds like (laughs) (laughs) no. I had this infamous interview with Erin Andrews, who I love and think she's great. And she married a guy from the NHL, very respected player, Jared, and um, Stolt. And uh, when I was interviewed, I'm like, so you, you, you married a guy from the NBA? And she was like, <laughs> 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 no, no. All right, let's end the show on a positive note. We did this story with the guys um, from the fifth column last week. It was what's happening at Hamlin University. Um, which is in Minnesota. And there was a professor there, an adjunct professor, Erica Lopez Prater, who made the mistake, quote unquote mistake, of showing an image of Muhammad in her art class. And she gave a trigger warning. She said in the syllabus she was going to do it. She told everybody that morning she was going to do it. She gave people two minute warning saying it's going to happen in two minutes if you want to get up and walk out, you know, because some some Muslims object to any depictions of Muhammad, as you guys know, as the world knows. And so she knew, but it was apparently this image that she showed was like, you cannot teach an art history class without showing this. And um, she got fired. The university fired Mm. her. One person who happened to be the head of the Muslim Student Association who was in the class, who got all the warnings, said, I was blindsided. (laughs) She popped it up there. I was blindsided. How? How? Did, Did you not pay attention to anything? And basically pushed to get her fired, saying, as a Muslim and a black person, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I belong. And this community doesn't value me as a member. Didn't show me the same respect I show them. Okay, it worked. They caved and she got booted. Well, good for this professor. She fought back 
and she filed a lawsuit. Um, just just happened. So she got a lawyer quick, filed a lawsuit saying you subjected me to religious discrimination and defamation. You damaged my personal, my professional reputation. You called me Islamophobic, you lunatic university administrators. And they mm. caved. She was so right. They had no choice. The university now has come out and said, recent communications, articles, and opinion pieces have led the school to review and re-examine our actions. Like all organizations, sometimes we misstep. And here's the final. In the interest of hearing from and supporting our Muslim students, language was used that does not reflect our sentiments on academic freedom. Because they had said academic freedom is outweighed by our deference to these Muslim students uh, who are complaining. And they say uh, it doesn't reflect our actual sentiments on academic freedom. Based on all that we have learned, we've determined that our usage of the term Islamophobic was therefore flawed. It was was flawed. (laughs) So this is waving the white flag. Don't go to this university, people. Do not go to Hamlin University. Um, But I do think it's a testament to the power of the law and fighting back against these wokesters when they overstep by taking your job or demonizing you unfairly with a really well-skilled lawyer. What do you think? Yeah, totally. And, and don't be afraid, right? I mean, don't be afraid to push back on something that's so clearly wrong. I mean, you do this on your program every day, and we try to do it on, on Ruthless too, is what they tell you you can't do, right? They just It's all about trying to intimidate you out of actually having any rights of your own. Right. They want to control the narrative. They want to control what's right and wrong. Heaven forbid you step on somebody's toes. But my second observation on this, to be honest with you, imagine the life that this uh, student is going to lead when they are unable to continue in a class after the syllabus and everything else had, had told somebody that this is going to happen. And they have their recourse instinctively is to try to get the person fired. Right. That they're so offended. That, that they can't go on. I got to be honest with you. The rest of this person's life is going to be full of disappointments, mm-hmm. <laughs> full of disappointment because it gets a lot harder than that. It certainly yeah, it's, does. It's a, it's a really good point. The left literally just wants to get people fired. I mean, if we look at the parallels between the situation with the hockey league and the situation with this university, the left wants the guy playing hockey to get fired. And he's like, no, I respect everything. I just didn't want to wear it. He's like, that's, a, you know, my religion says I shouldn't wear it. So I'm not going to wear it. So like this teacher said, if you want to, if you don't want to look at it, leave the class. You know, it's like she, she's, she's going bending over backwards to help out because she wants to be sensitive. And the left's like, no, fire her. The left's like, <laughs> not no. enough. Fire the hockey player. But you know what? The hockey player if you look on the NHL website, his jerseys, they're sold out. And I'm guessing that this teacher is going to do very well. Oh, oh, maybe I'll get one. Maybe I'll get my first NHL jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you really should. You really should. Your season tickets will be in the mail. No question yeah. about it. Can I tell you guys, I went, my, our friends uh, took us to a hockey game the other week. You know, they're kids. And we were watching. I happened to be standing next to the mom who was in charge of the music. Like whenever there's a timeout or there's a break, she has to pray, play the music, you know, and it's always like ACDC or something rough. And it was great stuff. And I was like, God, that's a lot of pressure. You know, I got to watch the game every second. And I was joking with her, like, wouldn't it be great if you just mixed it up and, and, Instead of like, you know, ACDC, you played like Xanadu. <laughs> <laughs> All the fans stop and collectively look towards the box. 
<laughs> and then they've got the, and what they see is all these like wine moms up there like Xanadu and the players down on the ice are like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> a girl can dream. Guys, always a pleasure. Everyone needs to go and download the Ruthless podcast because you can get this goodness. Not every day, but a lot of days of your life and you should. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself, these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Megan. First, I want to tell you about something great that's happening for somebody who you likely know, and she happens to be one of my closest friends, Janice Dean. JD has a new book out, and it's called I Am The Storm. Get it? Because she's a meteorologist. She reports on the storm. But this book is about people who actually are storms in a good way, not Stormy Daniels other kinds of storms. The full title is I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. These are David and Goliath stories, full of stories about real people who go through difficult times and stand up for what they believe in. That, of course, includes Janice Dean and her own experience. Uh, as you know, she may or may know, in 2020, she lost both of her in-laws, poor Sean, losing both of his parents. Due to COVID, they were in New York nursing homes and of course, uh, the policies of Governor Andrew Cuomo led to the deaths of between 12 and 15,000 people who were stuck in those nursing homes and they weren't allowed to test for COVID. They, the people were stuffed together. It had been highlighted for him that this is going to lead to massive death and, and disease. And he didn't listen. The fight that Janice led next against one of the most powerful families in America uh, led to her becoming a household name. And she's talked about it on this show. But it's not just Janice. There are tons of inspirational stories in the book, which I know you'll love, including this one she talked about on Fox and Friends yesterday morning. A lot of people don't know this story. This young woman who took a job at a post office at a lighthouse, a very remote part of Ireland, and she was the one that documented the forecast that was given to our allied forces that delayed D-Day. So I wanted to read you an excerpt from Please that. Please do. Okay, the Supreme Headquarters Allied Expeditionary Force in England was forwarded her weather reports, which were checked and double-checked. And when asked if her forecast was accurate, Maureen said it was. The rest is history. General Eisenhower decided to postpone D-Day by one day. Ted and Maureen, Ted was her boyfriend at the time, then became her husband. They had no idea of the gravity of their reporting. If it weren't for their accurate prediction, Allied forces would have gone ahead on the 5th and the invasion would have been a disaster. We lost 12,000 lives. Right. It would have been 75,000 lives had they gone in. Love that. Gave me the chills. Uh, tons of great stories uh, in this book, which you will love. The 
who a book again is called I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. If you're looking for a little inspo in your life, you've got a battle you want to fight, check it out and support JD. Okay, we're going to get to the MK mailbag as well as your calls. The number is 833-446-3496. And let's start with this. You guys may have been listening to that Dr. Leonard Sachs interview yesterday. And at the end of it, he was amazing, by the way. I got so much nice feedback from friends and listeners who'd been really moved by some of the things he was saying. He was talking about raising kids and and gender and how it's a real thing. It's innate in so many ways that we don't even know. Um, and about just good parenting and how we've drifted from it as an American society, how we outsource parenting to the tablets and the iPhones. And we don't spend good time with our kids. You know, we may spend time like where we think we're doing something, taking them to an activity, but we don't talk to them. We put on headphones. We don't weigh in talking about the importance of the family dinner at night. And, um, at the end of the show, one of our listeners called in named Amy and said, what do I do? because I have a 23-year-old and she's exhibiting some of the problems that we discussed on the, pro- on the show. And is it, is it too late? Like, what can I do to help her? Because she's really struggling. And Dr. Sachs said, this is my most dreaded question because I have no advice for you. I, I don't know. Like, he's basically saying, you got to get this done early during their developmental stages or, or not at all. Oh, poor Amy. And, you know, we don't, we don't have the answers. I don't know what to tell Amy either. Some of our, but we said we're going to follow up, which we will. And in the meantime, we got a ton of mail from our beautiful listeners and viewers. And this one came out from Megan, M-E-G-A-N, who is a licensed counselor. And she said this, my heart goes out to the mom who said she can't go backward, but wants to know what she can do for her daughter. I would tell this mom to model honesty in her own growth. Let your daughter know you are a work in progress too. Go to therapy yourself. Work on your own demons and look for what blessings you have in your own life. Be authentic with her. Let your daughter know you trust her to make her own decisions and work hard to live if, as if you do trust her. Tell her you are there for her if she needs you, imperfect, and always holding love in your heart for her. Mm, well said, Megan. Paul also weighed in saying, poor Amy. I have a family member who's going through almost the same thing with her 23-year-old daughter. So many people feel, or like Amy and my family member, feel helpless, powerless, and worse, like they were or are parental failures. I'm hoping that you may have some additional resources for Amy and other families being destroyed by this. We are going to zero in on that. I thought it was a a great question she asked. And a lot of people have kids who are older, and there's got to be another way besides, like, it's too late. So we're going to try to tap into some expertise uh, in that in that area. Okay, a lot of people had thoughts on the trans bathrooms issue. You know, we had Carrie Prejean Bowler and uh, Britt Mayer on to talk about that. And this girl, the 17 year old who was very upset with the YMCA out in California for letting her get exposed to a male penis as a biological male walking around as a trans woman there without any warning. She's in there. 17 year old gets faced with that. Lisa writes in, I told my husband about the story. He said, if the person is not fully committed to their gender choice, i.e. they still have a penis, they should be required to use the facilities for their biological gender. I think he's absolutely correct, Lisa says. Um, Danny writes in, can we just say that if you go into the women's locker room with a penis, then you're not transitioned. You're a cross-dresser. It's not the same. Make a third locker room. Robert 
writes in, as a father of three boys and three girls, ages 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, and 3, you're busy, Robert. I fear what type of world they will face being exposed to sexuality at such a young age. Seeing Carrie Brejean Bowler and Britt Mayer fighting against this at the local and national level is inspiring and helps me to be more vigilant. Uh, so much mail on that. So we thank, we thank all of you. In the meantime, let's take a phone call. We got Dan in California, who's got lots of thoughts for us today. Dan, hi, what's on your mind? Hey, Megan, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Beautiful here in the desert, snow-capped mountains. Uh, come on out. Uh, I loved you at Fox. You're the only person I ever watched on Fox. Um, I really liked you on NBC. I think you got screwed by NBC by, you know, whatever happened there. Um, I listen to you a lot. I think you're smart. I think you're a terrific journalist. Um, I think you tell it like it is. Unfortunately, I think you've turned really right wing, Megan. You praise the Republicans or the right and you criticize the left all the time. I just think you've changed a lot. And sometimes I want to turn you off. But what I'd really like you to do, and I don't know, you didn't talk about Chris Cuomo this morning on his new show. He's terrific, and he's a journalist just like you are. I think he's one of the best journalists around. I would love you to bring him on your show, and, and you guys do a, uh, a back-and-forth interview. That's hilarious. In no world ever will Chris Cuomo be my model journalist. Dan, wake up. Not only would I do it because he's not a good journalist. I could give you tons of examples. Go back and look at the way he covered the Trump White House. But I won't do it because he supported the smearing of Governor Cuomo's uh, accusers unjustly. And then he lied to his audience about it. OK, so do your homework. Chris Cuomo is no one's model of a good citizen or a good person. Um, I understand your criticism on the politics and the way I cover them. And I will submit to you the following. The world has shifted under us and there is a contingent on the left that must not simply be covered. It must be fought. And those are the people who are trying to tell our children they're less than because of the color of their skin or that they can wake up tomorrow and reevaluate their gender, kids who don't have gender dysphoria, but are offered it as a menu item. I won't cover them objectively. I'm here to fight them. And I've been very open about it, given my own personal experiences in this lane. Um, I've given President Trump a very hard time. Check the record. And I've given President Biden a very hard time. The record supports that, too. I am here to hold those in power accountable. And I would put my record of challenging both sides up against that of any journalist in America today. So if you choose to tune off, understanding that's where I am and how, where I stand, go for it. I understand. I get it. There's lots of choices. Good on you. Uh, if that's the kind of journalism and coverage you're in the mood for, tune on in as millions of people are. Okay, let's go back to the mailbag. Uh, and also taking everybody else's calls at one 888 nine, six. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the MLK statue, which was all over the news this week. They tried to honor Dr. King by showing an embrace with Coretta Scott King, but they only showed the arms. And in my view, it looked like hands holding a giant penis. It was not a good statue, uh, to a revered man and they should have tanked it. Uh, Vinny writes in the juxtaposition of the MLK junior statue segment and Harry's reading about his private parts was perfect. Neither artist Hank William Thomas or Prince Harry have any social awareness. I am eternally grateful that I had an older brother who would smack me in the head if I did anything stupid. Exactly. It's, 
I feel like if Prince William had had the chance to read that little Todger segment, he would have been there to tell Harry, get a grip. And he would have said the same thing to the man who made that statue. Release your grip. It would have been more like that. <laughs> do something else you've chosen wrong. By the way, some people give me a hard time in the media for saying it looks like a penis. Like somehow that I shouldn't have said that. That's what it looks like. But I, why shouldn't I say that? That's what it looks like to pretty much anybody who has eyes. Um, and I'm sad because it could have been lovely, but it wasn't. And it wasn't just yours truly. It was also family members of Coretta Scott King who spoke out against that ridiculous offense of a statement. OK, let's see. Uh, Robert in Illinois is calling in and he's got some thoughts. Robert, what's on your mind? Hey, Megan. Hey, Megan. How hey. are you? Good. How are you? Good. Longtime fan. I love listening to you on Fox News. Then I kind of lost you with the Trump stuff, but I'm past that. I'm listening to you on SXM radio now, which I love your show. It's been awesome. fantastic. Great knowledge. Yeah. I mean, you're your guests are amazing. But what happened yesterday with Dr. Sachs? So I've got two kids, two boys, 19 and 22. And I come from a background of immigrants, Italian-American. And the big thing that we had at our house was sitting down for dinner every night. And I took that and did that with my kids and a lot of other things. And I... They love that. They love sitting down for dinner. Yes. And it's been fantastic. It's, you know, it's huge. It's such it seems like a simple thing. And I realize everybody's got different schedules, but he was making a good point. Dr. Sachs, cancel it. You know, you got this one doing this one and that one. Work, find a different system. Prioritize the dinner. And, it, and he was saying, like, it's exponentially helpful. The more dinners you can do, like the the benefits to the family and the kids go up exponentially with each one you can get in. So, you know, if they're overscheduled, maybe dial it back a little and remember to put those deposits in while you still can. Robert, thank you. Glad to hear you were doing it. Let's go to Sarah out in California. Hey, Sarah, what's on your mind? Hi, Megan. Huge fan. Thank you so much for taking my call. Okay. I wanted advice because I don't know how to talk to my friends about politics because it seems like it's everyone is it's their way or the highway here in the lovely state of California. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for me to, you know, I, I feel like I'm living a double life. Yes, I understand that. But I would say to be if you're on the right to be friends with a woke lefty or a political lefty, right? Because like you could be not woke and a lefty who's just very political. Just don't go there. That's what I do with my friends. I, I just we just don't talk politics. One of my dear friends in the Midwest is a committed Democrat. She's not woke, but she is a committed Democrat. We just don't talk about this stuff. It doesn't end well. We have so many things that we have in common that we love to discuss. And we've maintained our friendship for, I don't know, 25 years now by just not, you know, talk to your ready friends about it who or, or your more forgiving lefty friends who can maintain their sense of humor. But if she's not one of them or somebody who you're trying to maintain the relationship with is not one of them, just just go someplace else if they're important to you. It's, you don't have to talk politics with everybody. It can't often be done uh, with ease. So and keep listening to the show and we'll, we'll try to provide more tips, Sarah from California, because it can't be easy. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and much more to get to tomorrow, including on Alec Baldwin. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda and no fear.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.